It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Hope you guys had a great week. And uh, today we are actually supposed to be ending this sermon series called Replay. We're in, uh, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're, today we're, we're gonna be in Judges chapter 2 through 6. Uh, we're talking about a guy who is actually listed in Hebrews. And Hebrews 11 talks about all these people who had great faith. And when it gets to the end of the chapter, it says, in time, uh, fails me to mention, and he gives a list of names, and one of those names is a guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is somebody who is has become very familiar to me over the past three or four years, and uh, it's my favorite story in the Bible. I think I say that a whole lot. Um, you ever read the Bible and say, man, that's my favorite story ever? And uh, I think they're all my favorite story, but this is a good one. And um, today was supposed to be our last day. I'm going to extend it one week. There's just a lot of information that really applies to our life from the life of Gideon. And so today we're going to be in chapter two through six. Next week we're going to end, we're going to end chapter six and be in chapter seven and we're going to end our sermon series next Sunday. So be here for that if you will. But for now, I want you to close your eyes just for a minute and I want you to think about something. I want you to think about yourself. I want you to see yourself in the mirror and I want you to Think about what you see. Think about what you see when you look in the mirror. What do you see? Is it positive or is it negative? Is it good or is it bad? Do you see the good or do you see the flaws when you look into the mirror? You know, our tendency is to look into the mirrors and and see the flaws on our face, to see the flaws on our, our physical uh, shape, if you will. Sometimes we see, you know, the shape of our nose or the, the thickness of our eyebrows or the lack thereof. And we, we criticize ourselves. The other day we were at the park and we were sitting around talking about foreheads and um, about, about how we think we have big foreheads. Listen, you have a big forehead because foreheads are big, all right? Foreheads are just big. I said, I've, I've got like a shelf. It's perfect. Like right here, my eyes. I've got a shelf there. My eye, my sunglasses just sit there perfectly. Um, this is just the way God made me. I've, I've never really liked my forehead, but hey, that's just the forehead that I have, and they don't have transplants for those things. Um, but you know, when you look in the mirror, you, you tend to criticize yourself. It's the color of your hair. It's the um, it's the plumpness of our cheeks, both sets, and um, we we criticize ourselves. We look to the negative more than we look to the positive. And um, generally, we're unhappy when we look at ourselves and we assess our looks, especially. Uh, but sometimes we tend to also zoom in on our lives and we look at our own abilities and we see our deficiencies and we see the lack of gifts and abilities. We often focus on our inability, our insignificance and our ineffectiveness. And what happens is we get stuck in a hole. We get stuck in a hole and we believe that something is missing in our lives and that there is no way that things are going to change and that we're always going to be that way. We're never going to be able to do anything and um, we're never going to be able to accomplish anything. So we might as well not try. Well, that was the experience of this guy named Gideon in Judges chapter two is where we're going to begin here in just a few minutes. But Gideon was a young Hebrew man. And when he looked at life and when he looked in the mirror, when he saw What he saw was a lot of problems. He saw hopelessness all around him. He saw hopelessness for the people of Israel. And he saw the negative in his own life, the inabilities. He saw the insignificance and the the ineffectiveness of his own life. And 
So what had happened is Israel had come a long way. You know, we've been talking about Israel and their their journey through the promised land. And they'd come a long way. They'd come to the, the waters of the Jordan River. God helped them safely across the Jordan. And they were now in the promised land. And they had actually gotten to where God wanted them to be. Forty years later, they had finally arrived there. And under the leadership of Joshua, they had this battle in Jericho, if you want to call it a battle. But God gave them Jericho in a miraculous way. But God told them something that they didn't really listen to. He said, hey, I'm going to establish a covenant with you and I'm never going to break it. I'm never going to go back on my word. But this is what I expect from you. I want you to go into the land and I want you to defeat it. I want you to destroy it. I want you to wipe it out. Spare nothing. And this land will be yours. And then he warned them that if they didn't do that, that they would be overtaken by the people and they would fall into idol worship and they'd be overcome uh, by different kinds of gods, if you will. And you know the story. Israel didn't really listen. And Judges chapter two, verse one, this is what it says. He said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And if you have your Bible... Um, if you have that on your phone or on your iPad, make a note, highlight that. I will never break my covenant with you. And when it comes to God, never means never. Do you believe that? Okay. Never means never. And then he says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And what that word Bochim means, it's a Hebrew word, it means to weep. And so that place was a representation of their response to what God had to say and how he was going to allow them to go through this oppressive time. And he did allow them to go through oppression. And what happened, because they rebelled against him for seven years, he allowed the Midianites, a group of people that were descendants of Ishmael, they who began to steal, they began to steal their crops. And uh, they didn't just steal their crops, but when they took all they could take, then they would set the rest of it on fire. They would burn the land and and uh, they wouldn't just do that. They wouldn't just take the crops. They would kill their sheep and they would kill their donkeys and their livestock. And they would ransack their camps and their their homes, their tents. And people were getting slaughtered. People were dying. And in my mind, it's it's a picture of like like you would see when the when the Indians would kind of attack the pioneers back in the day. That's what was going on here. And so Gideon. Gideon said, hey, man, I got to save myself. And so what you see here in Gideon chapter six, by the time we get there, Gideon is so fearful. He is in a wine press and a wine press in those days was there's a big hole in the ground. And they had they had several holes that were dug. Some were deeper than others. And they would take grapes and they would throw them. There's a picture. Actually, we can show that if you can see it. So in the first, like, just take the, the first hole up at the kind of at the top that pour their They'd pour their grapes in there and they'd get in there and they would stomp on the grapes. And all the juice would run into the bigger hole, the deeper hole. And it would sit there for a time. It would go through the fermentation process and it would become wine. And they would they would package it, bottle it, whatever they would do. And they would sell it 
Um, that was it's kind of their trade. But nonetheless, there's this hole. And the one here at the bottom is 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 deeper than the others. Don't know exactly how deep it was. Some were some were deeper than the others. But it says that Gideon was in the wine press and he was treading out wheat. Well, you don't normally tread out wheat in a wine press, do you? No, wine press is for making wine. But what he was doing down in the hole is he was hiding and he was trying to save himself. And he was trying to get as much grain as he could so that he wouldn't go hungry. And probably was going to share this with some of his family. And that's that's what you have with, with Gideon. But it was in this hole that God met Gideon. And it was in this hole that God changed Gideon's life forever. And my question this morning is, do you have holes in your life? Do you have holes in your life? Do you ever find yourself stuck in a hole? And uh, you can consider that question, but from this snapshot of Gideon's life, I see two kinds of holes in our life, two holes that we find ourselves in. And the first kind of hole we see is that, that something is missing in my life. That's hole number one. Something is missing in my life. And when you look at Gideon's life, what might have been missing from his life? Well, when Gideon sat down and he began to assess things, I, I can imagine that what was missing from his life was faith and hope and security and safety and fairness and justice. A relationship with God was ultimately missing, but what he was missing was his own rights. Hey, God, what about my rights? You ever feel that way? I do. God, what about my rights? See, when I am, when I'm fearful or I feel hopeless, what I tend to do is, is hide. I want to dig a hole. I want to run. I want to go and hide and I want to hide from my problems. I want to hide from my issues. More significant, more significantly, I want to run from God and my relationship with God. I want to run from the truth and what He wants to speak into my life and what He's calling me to do. It's, it's my nature to just run and hide and it's my nature to avoid and to uh, evade the problems. It's my nature to hole up and hide from it all. Can anybody else relate to that? I see it all the time, <clears throat> all the time in my life. And, and so I question. I question. I question God's goodness. I question God's faithfulness. I question God's covenant, His promise. God, you said you were going to do this. I question His purpose and I question His justice and His fairness. And I ask the question, God, are you for me? A lot of times in my life, I've wondered if God was really for me, if God was really, really good. Because when you just take a, a snapshot of, of life and culture and everything that's going on around us, it might cause you to, to question if God is really good or not. And if God really cares about you or not. And if God really meant, I will not leave you or forsake you. Or if God really meant, I will never break my covenant. It can cause you to question those things. But here's what I found is that when I get focused on what I'm missing in my life, I get selfish. And I do focus on my rights. And I, when I focus on my rights and what God's not allowing me to have, I distance myself from God. And I'm, I get so caught up in it that I'm debilitated, I'm immobilized, I become ineffective, and I can't enjoy what I do have. Because I get so negative. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a, it's a place of the heart that we get negative and we focus on the things that we don't have instead of the blessings that we do have. The farther from God that I get, the deeper in the hole of fear 
I go. And fear uh, is that thing that, um, that I think that uh, debilitates me because what happens is, is, is I, I fear that, that God's not going to allow me to have what I think I want or what I think I need. And I'm gonna, gonna miss out. I'm afraid that'll never happen or God will never allow me to experience it. And I feel that, I fear that God will never do for me what I believe that He's obligated to do. And that's where Gideon was in his own life. He believed that God was obligated to do something for him and for the people that God wasn't doing. And so that was a hole in his life. He thought he was missing all this stuff. Well, here's the second hole that I want to give you. The first hole is that something is missing in my life. The second hole is that uh, my life is missing from something. Okay? My life is missing from something. When I grew up in a large family, and I've told you many, uh, many times that I grew up on a farm, and uh, all of my family kind of lived together, not in the same house, but on the same land. And all the cousins ran around the hill, and my grandparents was the place to meet. That was the place to gather. My, my grandparents never locked their doors. It was, and when they were gone, hey buddy, we had a party. They had a big living room, we'd take off our socks, and we'd play football in the living room with our socks, and... Uh, ultimately we would, we'd, we'd break something and we'd try to fix it and hide it and they really never said anything. Um, but I'm sure it was a, a great topic for a lot of, a lot of stories. And when my grandmother passes away, uh, she's 86 now, uh, that funeral will probably last like four or five hours because of all the stories we have, uh, to tell. But, um, uh, my grandmother was this type of person that always had stuff to do. And when the grandkids would gather around her house, she would say, Hey kids, I need you to come help me do something right quick. Well, we knew that right quick didn't necessarily mean right quick because right quick would turn into all day. And so when she called, we would run. We would run and hide. And she had this big tree. We'd go, we'd climb the tree. We'd go and hide around the house. We'd hide in the hay barn. We would, we'd run from grandma because Grandma had work to do and we didn't, we didn't want to answer the call. Well, ultimately, Grandma would come looking for us and she would catch us, at least the young ones and the slow ones. Okay. My brother climbed the tree one time and we, we were all in the tree too, but we were so high she couldn't see us. He couldn't go any higher. And there was a fishing pole leaned up against a little brick a barbecue pit and she got it and she was jumping and she was, you get out of that tree! And she was whacking my brother on the legs until he came out of that tree. And uh, my brother went to work. We got out of it. But here's what I found with Grandma. You can run, but you cannot hide. I'm coming for you. And she would. And she would come for us. And that's that's what I found with God is that we can run, but we can't hide. Because God says, hey, you think there's something missing in your life. But I'm telling you that your life is missing from something that I'm trying to do and I want to include you in. And not only do I want to include you in it, but I want to do it in you and I want to do it through you. Look what he says right here in Joshua chapter 2. verse one. Um, actually, Joshua chapter 6. It says, Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And then uh, you go on in chapter in, in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 12. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Why was why was Gideon hiding? Because he was fearful and he was trying to save himself. 
He was fearful and he was trying to save himself. Okay, make sure you know that because this is what the angel of the Lord said. He appeared to him there and the Lord said this. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Did you get that? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And valor means strength. It means boldness. It means courage. It means power. Some dictionaries even include the word heroic. So God approaches this fearful man and says, hey, you're a hero. You're my hero, you fearful man. Doesn't really make sense. But we have to understand as God wasn't looking on the outward man. God was looking on the inward man. You say, well, there was no power in him. No, but whatever the man lacks when he's called by God, God will put there. God will put the power there. God will put the strength there. God will take away the fear and he'll put a fierceness in the man to come and do what God's called him to do. He'll do it. He'll give him the boldness to do it. Because when when we see our problems, God sees the potential. When I see a coward, God sees what? God sees courage. When I see weakness, God sees a warrior. When I see laziness in my own life, God sees a leader. When I see fear, God sees confidence. When I see shame, God sees honor. When I see apathy, God sees passion. Only God can manufacture those things in you. They can't be manufactured alone. And so what he was saying to Gideon is, hey, I'm here to show you that there's nothing missing from your life. It's you that's missing from something that I'm about to do. And so he calls Gideon to himself. And so God, God meets him where he is. And he addresses Gideon in the hole. And the question is, see, we find ourselves in the whole of life so often. And you say, well, what is the whole of life? Well, you tell me what the whole of life is. You define that whole. It's that place that that drags you down. It's that place that holds you back. It's it's that place of comfort and safety. That whole of life, it may be debt for you. It may be an addiction for you. It may be uh, relationships for you. But it's, it's something that's very negative. It's holding you back from accomplishing what God's called you to do, from fulfilling your identity and your purpose that's only found in Him. See, God's given us all a true, authentic, individual identity. But when we come to Him, we bring our our authentic, individual identity, and we give it to Him, we surrender to Him. And that whole is really a lack of surrender. God's calling us to go fight, and we're running and hiding in the hole. And we're allowing all these things to try to meet our needs that will never meet our needs. And we're blaming God because we don't have what we think we need. And so the question we have to ask is, uh, what is it that keeps us in the hole? What is it that keeps us in the hole? And here's what kept Gideon in the hole. It was weighing the odds. When Gideon weighed the odds, he was determined he was going to stay in the hole. Weighing the odds means that I take everything into consideration. I look at the positive, I look at the negative. I weigh the pros against the cons, and I, I, I come up with this uh, real, sensible, sensible, logical, reasonable plan, and I make a decision on what I'm going to do based on that evidence. And when challenged to get out of the hole, Gideon weighed the evidence, he weighed the odds, and so you listen to his response to God. So God says, hey, you mighty men of valor, get out of there. Got plans for you. And he says in verse 13, 
Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Hey, you can relate to this. Look at your life. Weigh the odds. If God is for us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles that the fathers used to talk about? Hey, I'm not seeing God keep his end of the bargain. I'm not even seeing God do miracles today. Is God really alive? Is God really real? Is God who he says he is? Then he goes on and he says, But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So he thinks he is talking to an angel of the Lord. Then verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him. Okay? So it takes out the word angel. And by the way, angel of the Lord, that phrase, it's really what you would call a theophany or a Christophany. And it's really a physical representation of, of God the Father or Christ. The theophany is a picture of God the Father. A Christophany is a physical rep- representation of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament. Uh, you never see Jesus or God appear in any way, any form of an angel of the Lord again in, uh, in the New Testament. But you see it here, and he says in verse 14, that the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, after complaining and whining and showing his, his fearfulness, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And in verse 15, he said to him, Oh, my Lord. You ever say, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. I mean, it comes from like right here. He didn't mean it the way we mean it today, but that's what he says. Oh, my Lord. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. You see, he's weighing the odds right here. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. See, when we weigh the odds. The odds are going to stack up against us. The odds will stack up and give us many reasons and excuses not to do what God's called us to do. A logical assessment will often render an impossible outcome. You understand that? When you start looking at the evidence, the negatives always seem to outweigh the positives. And we get stuck and we stay in the hole. And we miss out on God's blessings. We miss out on God's uh, promises. We miss out on God's miracles because we stay in the hole. We'd rather stay comfortable than to get outside the hole or get outside the box and trust God to do something big that only God can do. It's because of fear and doubt, because of comfort and safety, because of uncertainty, because the odds stack up. And because those odds stack up, even if you get out of the hole, you're going to run back with a lack of confidence because you really didn't believe what you thought you believed. And if you want to stay in the hole, weigh the odds. Where are you weighing the odds right now? Weigh the odds and you'll stay in the hole. But here's another question. Weighing the odds are going to keep you in the hole, but what's going to get you out? See, our, our, our plan, our job, my, my passion is to help you get unstuck in your life. And so what is it that's going to get us out of the hole? Well, if you want to stay in the hole, you weigh the odds. If you want to Get out of the hole, then you weigh the gods. Okay? Weigh the gods. That's what, that's what Gideon did. I'm gonna explain that to you. See, we weigh the odds. You're gonna weigh the odds. You, you're gonna get, you're gonna get cerebral. You're gonna get, uh, intellectual. You're gonna think about all the evidence that's laid out there. And I'm not telling you not to do that. 
I'm just saying don't stop short of weighing the gods. And what I mean by that is taking it to God and saying, God, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? And you have to keep in mind when I say gods, Gideon was serving idols. His father was a big idol worshiper. The people of the area, they were idol worshipers. And so you're going to see this big weighing of the gods play out here in just a second. This is what happens in Judges chapter um, 6, verse 17. It says, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. Don't you like signs? God, just write it in the heavens so I don't make a mistake here. God, you make it happen. Make it clear. 100%. Because I don't want to have to do this by faith. God, don't you make me live by faith. Because we don't want to fall. We don't want to fail. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience pain. We want everything to feel good and look good. He says, show me a sign that it's you who's talking to me. Do not depart from here, uh, from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, this is God speaking, and he said, I will wait until you come back. So what happens is he goes and he prepares this offering. He brings it back in a basket and God says, hey, take it out of the basket. I want you to put it on the rock and I want you to pour this broth over it. And so he goes and he pours the broth over it. And then in verse 21, the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Hey, when God's calling us to take a risk, where do we go? We go to the other end of the spectrum and say, hey, God, I don't want to die. And so we weigh the odds. And if we know we're not going to die, that takes us to the next step. But if, hey, if there's any possibility of death in this, I ain't going. Mark me off the list. I'm staying in the hole. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And he called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it's still in Ophrah of the Abiezerites or whatever their name is. However you want to say that. It's still there, it says. And so God is calling Gideon and he's saying, hey Gideon, there is nothing missing from your life. There's still justice. The promise still stands. Get out of the hole. But Gideon had to decide, am I going to get in the hole or am I going to stay out of the hole? Well, how do you get out of the hole? You have to weigh the gods. And Gideon had to ask the question, is this stupid or is this stupid? Is this stupid faith or is this stupid stupidity? Um, they kind of look alike. When you're living by crazy faith like that, um, they kind of look alike. And Gideon had to make sure that he was hearing the voice of God, that it was God leading him and not the voice of the other gods. And God showed him that it was him. And God showed him his power. And God showed him that he still does miracles, that he hadn't forsaken the people. And the awesome thing is, it seems that time just kind of stood still for God to wait on Gideon to say yes. 
until Gideon was confident in God. And then in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. He says, hey, I want you to go and get one of your father's bulls and I want you to tear down the altar of Baal. Because he had come and he had worshipped before God. God had given him this, this great confidence. And so God is calling him to his first task. And he says, I want you to go and get one of your father's bulls and I want you to tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. I want you to cut it down and uh, cut down the wooden image that's built beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock on the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. And so in all of his might and all of his confidence and all of his valor as God called him, it says that Gideon called some of his men together and they go and they get the bull and they come and they hook it up to the to the altars and they tear them down and they destroy the entire area of worship. Well, the next day, people get up and this was at his father's house, by the way. So his father, his father is is there and these people are coming and they notice that this area of worship is just destroyed. They go and they knock on the door and they call out to dad and they said, hey, the person who did this is going to have to die, and we believe it's your son. It's cool what the dad said. The dad said, hey, if, if Baal is real, then let Baal defend himself. And so there's a weighing of the gods here, you see, and, and, and it was Gideon who caused it because he obeyed the Lord. Is it the God of, of our fathers who is the God who says he is, or is it this idol that we call Baal that is powerful and mighty? And guess what happened? Baal didn't show up. Baal didn't show up. And the people, they dropped, they dropped their hardness. They dropped their, their defensiveness. They, they saw that God was, was still in love with them and they still belonged to God. And it says that they came and they lined up behind Gideon. Now they were all on the same side. God can only work miracles like that if we say yes to God and we put God to the test. I'm not saying that we test God and test God and test God and, and, and never trust Him at His first word. But I'm saying that you take His word and you look at the character of who God is and when you're doubting and when you're living by fear and you think God is not for you and you think God's going to destroy you, go back and look at the character and the nature of God. Hey, God is a God of justice and God is a God who gets angry at sin. But God always loves the person. God doesn't want to destroy you. God wants to deliver you from the hole that you're stuck in. Because God has a greater life, a greater experience than you've ever imagined. And the question is, what kind of hole are you stuck in? Just think about it for a minute. What kind of hole am I stuck in? Is it, is it a mental hole? Is it an intellectual thing where my mind is just being bombarded by thoughts, and temptations, negativity, defeat? Is it an emotional hole? Is it the way I'm feeling? Is it that I can't connect with people? Is it that I've been hurt deeply? Is it that physical hold with my health and I just can't seem to overcome it? It's going to take its toll on my life. I'm going to die. 
and I've just got to stay in the hole. Maybe it's a spiritual hole. And right now I'm going to ask our prayer, our, our prayer servants to come. I'm going to ask you to just sit where you are. And just bow your head before the Lord and make this a time of prayer before Him. Saying, God, what's, how would you, God, describe the hole that I'm in? What is it that's keeping me there? What are the odds that are stacked against me? And you know what it is. You know what it is. Only you can change that. There are a couple of questions that I want to ask you. They're on your note sheet. Number one is what hole am I in? Number two, what's keeping me in the hole? And number three and four are the most important. Is do I want out? And do I need help? What I found with men and what I found with me is I want out. I want out of the hole. I want to be free so God can be, can work in me and God can work through me. But what I've also found is I don't want to ask for help. Because asking for help means that I've got to confess a weakness. I've got to confess a sin. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be judged and condemned for whatever I tell another person. And that when I tell one, then everybody else is going to know. And that won't be help. That'll be hell. And we just get right down to it. Can we put those questions back on the screen? What hole am I in? What's keeping me there? Do I want out? And do I need help? We're here to help. And it can begin just praying and listening to what God has to say to you and what God has to reveal.